Hey, I'm your host, Sarah Sennett. I'm a master's qualified digital marketer. Together, we're going to up-level your marketing game. My aim for the Marketing Mindset Club is to give you clarity on how to create and communicate value, learn the latest marketing techniques, build your skill set, and develop the confidence you need to get the results you want. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me for episode eight of the first season of the Marketing Mindset Club podcast. And here we are in the last episode of the season. I can't believe it's gone so quickly. I hope you found the things we've discussed in this season useful. I know it's been a big learning curve for me, and I've really enjoyed bringing you this content and producing the show. But even though this season is over, it doesn't mean you're not going to hear from me for months. Quite the opposite, in fact. I've got a few bonus episodes planned during August and then we'll be back with season two in September. If you listened to last week's episode, you'll also know there's the Marketing Mindset Club August Challenge and I'll tell you more about how you can get involved at the end of this episode and you'll also be able to keep up with that on Instagram. Now onto the show. If you're new here, welcome along. It's great to have you. This is how it's going to go. Each episode is split into three bits, the digital news bit and what matters about the top stories, the learning bit where I'll deep dive on a tool, technique or strategy you can use and the real life lessons bit where I'll talk about stuff that I'm learning or things that I've experienced in my marketing career. So let's get going. In the digital news bit this week, the government is tipped to announce a ban on junk food advertising before the 9pm watershed. It's part of the Prime Minister's plan to tackle obesity following his COVID-19 scare and the comorbidity factor of obesity in that disease. According to the BBC, it's likely to include other measures such as calorie labels on restaurant meals and more prominent labelling on high salt and sugar foods. This could include yoghurts, chocolate, even mayonnaise. So there are some big brands in there that could find themselves affected by this. And just today, as I'm recording this, this announcement has been confirmed and it also means an end to buy one, get one free offers on unhealthy foods. Naturally, the ad industry has reacted with horror. Marketing Week put the estimated ad revenue loss at around £200 million, which is undeniably a huge chunk of business. But I can't help but feel that revenue won't be lost. It'll be bought up by other businesses. I also think it's probably a good thing for the overall health of the nation. And this is all part of a wider initiative by Public Health England to cut obesity in this country, which in turn will support the NHS, which can only be a good thing, especially if we end up with a second spike of COVID-19 happening later this year. This week, Garmin had a major outage, which was reportedly due to a massive cyber attack. The hackers were allegedly demanding $10 million to release the systems back to Garmin. Although there's no indication any data was stolen at this point, they were locked out of their own systems by a malware attack. Obviously hugely embarrassing for Garmin and deeply frustrating for Garmin Connect users around the world. Garmin Connect is the the product that was affected, but there were some reports that their aviation products were also affected. So... This goes a bit deeper than anyone exercising being able to record their activity. As of the 28th of July, it seems that the service is getting back to normal, but I think there is a huge communications job to do here. I wouldn't be surprised if we see swathes of Garmin customers switch brands as they lose trust in the organisation. 
If I was in their marketing team, I'd be planning a major engagement activity to rebuild trust and reassure new customers. If you think back to the emission scandal that Volkswagen created in 2015 when they admitted to manipulating 11 million vehicles worldwide in order to pass emission tests, it's a similar sort of situation, although Garmin didn't necessarily create this one themselves. For VW, there's still a legal case going on here in the UK, but in the US, VW already pleaded guilty and has paid over $4 billion to owners. So they have a job to do to re-engage with their audience. And they launched their first brand campaign in January 2016, full of nostalgia for the role of the VW in the family. But according to figures, sales of VW passenger cars have never recovered to pre-Dieselgate levels. So it'll be interesting to see if Garmin can recover. Not that they have deliberately deceived their customers in the way that VW did, but there's still a trust issue to overcome. And this made me think about trust and loyalty. It's so difficult to cultivate in a following, but it's broken in one false move. The moment you try to get one over on your audience with any shady or outright dishonest activity, your followers will find out. So my advice is to always play it straight. If you're planning anything that you wouldn't be happy explaining to your customers, just don't do it. It's never worth it. And in this club, we are all about creating value, not trying to use marketing to coerce or to cover up. Reported this week, there has been a disturbing increase in diet ads on TikTok. Intermittent fasting has been labelled a diet fad of recent times, and there's a growing prevalence of these ads promoting this weight loss approach. For those predisposed towards irregular eating habits or who have an eating disorder, this is particularly worrying. One of the stats quoted in the Rolling Stone article on this said, an estimated 5-10% to 10 of people with anorexia nervosa, for example, will die within 10 years of onset of symptoms, while only 30-40% to 40 of people will ever recover. Now, TikTok's community guidelines specifically rule out pro-anorexia content, but intermittent fasting apparently falls into a grey area. And it's not just the ads that are concerning, it's the users making content who are following this kind of eating routine. It worries me so much, especially as TikTok is the most downloaded social media app in the UK right now. Is this a sort of content promoting a positive body image or a healthy relationship with food? No, not in the slightest. So what do you do if you're working for a company that promotes diets or eating plans? And I'm not in any way saying that what you're promoting isn't healthy or promoting a positive body image. I think the only way to approach it is in a responsible way. Cultivate a following that recognises the need for healthy eating, for body positivity and seeks to dispel misinformation. Be that voice that adds value to users. It'll be so much more sustainable in the end for both the business and its followers. Fake news and disinformation have been hot topics in the mainstream media for many months now, especially in relation to social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter who are taking two very different stances on false information. If you go back over episode five of this season, we discussed the Facebook ad boycott over their supposed lack of response to tackling hate speech and racism on the platform. So if you're in a position to do some social good and tackle any sphere of misinformation, then I think you should. After all, trust can only be earned, not bought. I think it's a core part of delivering value because if you don't trust the source, then there's only suspicion and doubt at the end of the message.
Interestingly, I also recently participated in a survey being conducted by Marketing Week about the marketing mindset. So it'll be interesting to see the results when that comes out. It is a concept that fascinates me, which is why I decided to name the podcast The Marketing Mindset Club. And it'll be interesting to see what findings come out of it. Moving on, today on the learning bit, I want to talk about Google's Data Studio. It's a free-to-use data visualization platform created by Google. Now, if you've already started to tune out because you hate the thought of dealing with data, spreadsheets, or you think you're no good at numerical analysis, hold on. Because Data Studio is easier to use than you think and makes getting useful insights about your marketing performance relatively simple. As marketers who are all about delivering value and return on investment, we need to know how our marketing activities are performing. We can't optimise for what we can't measure and we can't draw insights if we can't visualise our data in a way that makes it clear to see trends and patterns. Data Studio allows you to hook up different data sources such as Google Analytics, Google Sheets, Google Ads, plus CSV files and MySQL. You can create charts of all your key metrics in one place without any need for manual analysis. There are different forms of charts, tables and graphics that can show your data in the way that answers your questions about performance. It's also completely cloud-based, as you would expect from Google, so it's ideal for collaborating with multiple team members who could be located anywhere. So to give you a bit of background about why now for Data Studio, I've been playing around with it for over a year or so, but I've never really explored its full potential. This week, I completed the Introduction to Data Studio course that Google provide for free, and I've read a bunch of blogs to get more information about some of its capabilities. So here are eight things I learned about Data Studio, and I'll link to any of the posts I mention in the show notes on marketingmindset.club. So number one, Any data you have in any Google platform can be connected in just a few clicks. There's no complicated connection process, no hoops to jump through. If you're logged into your Google account where you have all the accesses to the accounts you want to connect, it's really easy. So all the data you have in Google Ads and Google Analytics can be linked almost instantly. Number two, you can add fields to your data set without changing the original data. So Data Studio is really clever in this respect. So when you get your data into the platform from the original data set, Data Studio sets up what's called a data source. It's a representation of the original data, and it means you can create sum, average, or any other type of calculation on numerical data, and it won't affect your original data set. Number three, there are a ton of data connectors created by partners, over 226 in the library. But Facebook haven't yet made one, so you can't automatically sync up data from the Facebook ads platform with Data Studio. So if Facebook or Instagram ads are part of your strategy and you're trying to create a report where you're bringing all of your ad metrics together to demonstrate the overall return on investment, you'll need a third-party connector like Supermetrics. And I've linked to them from the show notes. Number four, if you don't feel confident creating your own report layout, you can use a template to get you started. I've always started with the blank canvas and built reports from scratch, but there is a whole gallery of Google created and community created templates. So it's easy to just take a layout you like and tweak your visualization to get it up and running really quickly. Number five, you can add static images at a report level, like your company logo, so it appears automatically on all the pages in the report. 
You can also customize fonts and colors so you can get as nifty as you like with the branding. This might seem like a really obvious thing to offer, but it's not very common in many of the third-party reporting platforms I've used. Usually the most you'll get is the chance to upload a logo, but there's often no opportunity to create backgrounds, change colors and make it unique. So I really enjoy Data Studio for that level of customization. Number six, it has the opportunity to offer in-report controls so your report is never static. The one I use the most is the date range control. So you can set the duration to auto so that every time the report loads, it shows your preferred default data range, but it also offers the user the opportunity to show data for a time range they are interested in. It's a really useful feature that can remove the need for stakeholders to ask you for alternative versions of report for different periods, which in turn gets rid of all that manual repetitive report producing workload. And this way, they have all the insights they want at their fingertips. Number seven, you can do blended data reporting. Data Studio can join data from two sources as long as there is one point of commonality between them. This is called a data key. It just means that both data sources have the same field in them. I'm only just starting to get my head around it myself, but it means you can enhance your primary data with data from a secondary source. Now this could mean that you build a complete picture of a user journey between your website and your app using Google Analytics and your own platform data, as long as there is a key that's consistent between them. Now this could be a session ID or a user ID or any form of unique identifier that's consistent in both sources. But one word of caution, there's lots to consider when blending two data sources. For instance, if you pick multiple keys, you will exclude any records that don't contain both points of commonality. So if you try to get a total number of interactions from this, it might end up being inaccurate. There's lots more to dive into around blended data. So if you're interested, I suggest reading up on it and trying it out for yourself. And number eight, you can automate delivery of your reports by email, which is perfect for reducing your reporting workload. You can customize the text you want to include in the email, the timing and the frequency. The report is delivered in the body of the email itself, as well as with a PDF attachment and a link to the live dashboard. Don't forget though, if your audience aren't likely to be logged into their Google account and have the correct credentials to view the data in the dashboard, you will need to select owner's credentials for sharing. Otherwise, if they load the live dashboard, it will be blank. You can test this by sending it to yourself and viewing it in a browser where you're not logged in. So the next time you're trying to understand what your data means, how your last marketing campaign went and what outcomes you've created, try visualizing it in Data Studio. You don't have to start with all the complicated stuff, just simply hook up your Google Analytics and have a play with visualizing the user data or the source data in different ways. As with all new tools, there's a learning curve to go through, but I am finding it very worthwhile and I highly recommend it. Now this week's real life lesson is courtesy of a piece I read in Marketing Week, and it was about a shift towards short-term tactics in B2B marketing. A survey recently conducted by the partner on this article showed that the number of B2B marketers devoting more than 60% of their budget to long-term tactics had reduced from 21% to just 9%. Now, this really surprised me, 
We know that sales cycles in B2B are notoriously complex, often lengthy, and will include more stakeholders than many B2C purchases. And the outcome of the article summarised that there should always be a mix of long-term awareness tactics versus short-term activation tactics. But the shift to short-termism is what caught my attention. Have we become a community of B2B marketers driven only by short-term gains or pressured by an impatient C-suite? Mm, it's hard to say, but can you imagine trying to put a business case together for a 12-month-plus strategy? Even if you could, who would approve it in this market? It's a challenge that I'm sure many of us in B2B struggle with, but the article gave two seemingly obvious tactics to try to meet the short-term needs of the business, but they are brilliantly simple. The first one is pipeline acceleration, and this is just a fancy term for pushing prospects down the funnel to the point of conversion. And then two is the point of conversion itself, actually getting people over that line into a confirmed sale. The questions I have for you, how you can provide value to those people who have expressed an interest but aren't yet ready to commit. I suggest there are three things to think about. The first one is signposting your resources. Can you share links to content, preferably your own, that explains more about how your product solves the issues that your customers have? If you can, that will create another point of engagement. It will help build trust and will help move them towards thinking that they've made the right decision with your product. Number two is personalised service. You can bet there's someone out there with something cheaper or faster or supposedly better than what you're offering, but you can win with good service. How often does a knowledgeable representative contact a prospect, not with the aim of doing a hard sell, but with the aim of helping them make their decision? Genuine advice and guidance will always be appreciated. And three is aftercare. You can differentiate your service with the aftercare and support you offer. Do you have a knowledge base or a live chat or support agents on hand to help? What's your commitment to help get your customers the best value from their purchase? This comes into your service proposition, but being open about what's available from your team and who will be providing that service will certainly help your prospects with their decision making. And that brings us to the end of the episode and the season. But it's not quite over yet. For anyone who wants to join me on a journey to put some energy back in to their marketing, to their life, to their thinking, and to readdress their list of priorities if you've got caught up in this whirlwind of lockdown and COVID and working from home or, God forbid, being made redundant, I have a challenge for us. For the month of August, I am going to commit to the following and I want you to join me. The first is get at least eight hours of sleep a night. Turn all screens off one hour before bed. Drink at least two litres of water every day. Be social media free one day a week, which I know is completely counterintuitive for a marketer. Exercise for at least 30 minutes a day. Write down three things I'm grateful for each day and to start journaling each day. Now, that might seem like quite a long list, um, but... I think it's all really achievable and the reason that I've picked this list is it's a collection of activities that I've seen shared many times in the self-care space. It's by no means an exhaustive list of how to take care of yourself but I can confidently say that I rarely do more than one of these and I know I need to shift my energy. 
If you listened to last week's episode, you'll know I talked a bit about burnout and self-care and needing to reprioritize. And I'm betting that I'm not alone in this. So I'm going to post the list of things that I'm going to do to Instagram. I'm also going to vlog throughout the month on Instagram stories, and you can keep up with that at Marketing Mindset Club. But what will really make this challenge successful for me is seeing how you guys are doing with it. So please do this challenge with me and please let me know how you're getting on with it. Tag me on Instagram. Let me know where you'll be posting about it because I'm really keen to learn from you. And for anyone who has been through burnout before or conquered pre-burnout, I'd really like to hear from you too. And that's all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for being part of the first season of the Marketing Mindset Club. I'm so glad you are here and I'm so glad you tuned in. Thank you everybody who's left a review so far. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how thankful I am for your support. If you haven't yet subscribed or left a review, please consider it. It really helps me out in my goal to grow this club and support as many marketers as I can. If you have any other thoughts or comments or questions, head over to the Instagram at Marketing Mindset Club, which is where I'll be until season two kicks off in September apart from the one or two little bonus episodes I'll uh, drop in August. Otherwise, I will see you next time.